Informing America's farmers and ranchers. It's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. And hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture, coming to you today from Orlando, Florida, the National Ethanol Conference. We won't even talk about how good the weather is, how great it feels to be warm, because I know what it's like in uh, many of the parts of the country, including where I just left. So it just feels good. And here we're talking ethanol, some interesting issues to discuss. We'll have some breaking news on the program today. We'll be talking with former South Dakota Senator Tom Daschle in a bit. But right now, Jeff Cooper, president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association, gives his state of the industry message. Well, Mike, unfortunately, 2018 was a, a rough year for the industry uh, on many fronts. Um, but the industry has lots to celebrate and lots to be proud of. Uh, we, we had rec- record ethanol production in 2018, 16.1 billion gallons. We had record exports uh, of ethanol in 2018. Uh, nearly 1.7 billion gallons of, of ethanol exports, so more than 10% of our output was uh, was sent into the international market. Uh, you know, we obviously have the, the job creation and um, lowering pump prices and, and reducing emissions, and, and all those good stories continue. And as we're producing and consuming more ethanol, those benefits are, are, are magnified. Um, so the industry is doing exactly what it's supposed to be doing, and, and, and our producers are, are, are um, you know, doing all they can. Uh, it, it's been, you know, what's been frustrating is, is we've been let down by uh, the administration and, and specifically by EPA, and, and, you know, really a lot of the economic challenges that we're seeing in the industry today are a direct result of uh, some of the actions that uh, former EPA Administrator Scott Pruitt took early last year uh, that we're still see, you know, seeing manifest in the marketplace today and we'll be dealing with for a while. Well, the confirmation process continues for Andrew Wheeler to be the full-time administrator at EPA, and it looks like that's on track, although he has faced uh, plenty of um, uh, direct questioning from your industry and others about uh, different things. What's your assessment of what you have heard so far and concerns you have moving forward with Andrew Wheeler? Well, you're right, Mike, and that's one of the other things we're going to be talking about in the state of the industry is, is the opportunity that we have in 2019 with a new administrator at the helm of EPA. Um, and, and really, Andrew Wheeler has, has a phenomenal opportunity to, to get things right and to get things back on the right track uh, for the renewable fuel standard for E15, uh, to, to make good on those commitments from President Trump. Um, and so, you know, and he's going to be tested very early. And, and, you know, frankly, the small refiner exemption issue that was uh, such a, a scandalous thing last year with, with former Administrator Pruitt, uh, you know, Mr. Wheeler is going to be tested on that very early. And, and really within the next few months, we're going to know uh, how he plans to approach the small refiner exemptions. He's got 22 petitions uh, sitting on his desk, uh, petitions from small refiners who are looking for exemptions from their 2018 compliance obligations. Uh, they will need to be demonstrating compliance with the 2018 standards by the end of March, and so they'll be looking for a decision on whether they get that exemption or not uh, very soon. And, and so we we are hopeful that uh, Mr. Wheeler is is rather you know rather than rubber stamping those petitions as as Pruitt did. Uh, we're hoping he's going to be much more judicious 
and responsible in, in reviewing those petitions. EPA keeps assuring everyone they're on track. They'll be able to get it done by June. Uh, are you confident they can, or are you still concerned? Well, we, we remain concerned. We've, we've always been skeptical of, of that timeline, uh, even back in November uh, when EPA was first talking about um, waiting until February to, to publish a proposed rule. Well, it's February now, and we haven't seen a proposed rule yet. Um, you know, now we're hearing, well, it might be March before a proposal gets out. Uh, I think if that's the case, it's going to be very hard for EPA to make a June 1st deadline for a final rule. You just run out of days on the calendar at some point to get something like that through the process. Um, now, there may be tools available to EPA uh, where they could signal to the marketplace you know, before summer, that uh, retailers can continue to sell E15, and and uh, you know, in lieu of the fact that this rulemaking is 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 slipping uh, schedule-wise. So hopefully it doesn't come to that. Hopefully it does get done. Um, but we're going to be keeping a very close eye on that. Coming up tomorrow here at the conference, we're going to hear from Deputy Secretary Steve Sinsky, and he certainly has a, a strong background and history with the uh, RFS from his days at the American Soybean Association. Deputy Secretary Sinsky has been a tremendous uh, advocate and, and voice for agriculture and the biofuels industry within the administration. Both he and Secretary Purdue ha- have played an instrumental role in helping uh, to get the commitment for year-round E15 and, and also uh, have been serving as, as watchdogs on, on the RFS issues as well. Um, USDA has been uh, advocating very strongly that the small refiner exemption volume should be reallocated uh, moving forward, and, and we certainly agree uh, with that sentiment. Um, so we're, we're very excited to have uh, Steve joining us tomorrow here at the conference and, and sharing USDA's views on these issues. And, and again, it will be great to, uh, uh, to be able to thank him in person and, and thank the agency uh, for all they've done to, to help support our industry uh, over the, you know, the, the turbulent times that we've seen in the last year or two. I want to I touch on this quickly, uh, Jeff, before we're out of time, because uh, a study showing that the, the RFS has helped reduce greenhouse gas emissions by 600 million metric tons. Pretty strong story. It is a very strong story and a, and a, a very surprising number. It was surprising to us when that analysis came back, and in fact, that study is going to be discussed in detail this afternoon by the author uh, of that report. And so we were, we were very excited to, to see those numbers. And, you know, frankly, we think that's a story that is underappreciated or, or not told enough uh, about the RFS. Uh, you know, there's a lot of discussion about the energy security benefits of the program and, and what it's meant for the farm economy and, and rural, rural America. Uh, but in terms of greenhouse gas emissions reduction, there is nothing uh, that can hold a candle to what the RFS has meant over the last 10 years. 600 million metric tons of, of greenhouse gas emissions reductions, and that's kind of hard for people to visualize, but it's basically if you took half of the vehicles in this country off the road for an entire year, uh, that would be the same amount of greenhouse gas savings that we've gotten through the RFS uh, since 2008. So a very significant story. One uh, that we want to get in front of the, the new Congress and certainly the uh, new new members in the House, the, the Democratic Caucus, um, you know, talking about a Green New Deal and all these other uh, ideas and, and 
uh, concepts related to fighting climate change and, and focusing on greenhouse gas emissions. And we're able to show people that, you know, just by moving to E15 nationwide, we'd be getting uh, significantly more greenhouse gas emissions reductions. And it isn't just greenhouse gas emissions that um, we're seeing uh, addressed by biofuels. It's, it's you know, toxic uh, pollutants coming out of the tailpipe as well, and it's a reduction in carbon monoxide and particulate matter and, and, and ozone-forming pollution. Um, so there are lots of air quality benefits in addition to the greenhouse gas and kind of climate benefits of, of using more biofuels. Very good. Jeff Cooper, President and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. As always, thanks, Jeff. Thank you, Mike. Stay with us. More coverage coming up. We have more from Orlando and the National Ethanol Conference right here on AOA, Adams on Agriculture. If you don't know where to look, it's easy to miss something big. Sometimes the answers to our biggest challenges are found in the most unexpected places. The clean energy solutions we need are right in front of us, always have been. Opportunity is everywhere if you know where to look. See the world differently. Poet. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. We're excited to explore the topic. The Farm Bill, immigration reform, reducing regulations, trade, new technology, as well as infrastructure and health care. Through the year, Adams on Agriculture will originate on location from several major national meetings and events. Subscribe to the show's podcast at AmericanAgNetwork.com. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> it's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. I'm here to tell you that your options for getting out of debt have never been better. How do I know? Because I'm Howard Dvorkin, the founder of Consolidated Credit. For nearly two decades, we've helped over 5 million people just like you. And every time we help someone, they all say the same thing. Why didn't I call sooner? If you owe too much money on your credit cards and you feel that you'll never be able to pay it off, don't wait. Simply pick up the phone and find out what our Freedom Quest program can do for you. Reducing your payments by up to 50% is just the beginning, but you have to take the first step. When credit card debt is the problem, we're the solution. Call Consolidated Credit now. As soon as you call, 
the hard part is over. Call Consolidated Credit now. 1-800-489-7204. 1-800-489-7204. That's 1-800-489-7204. 5701 Sunrise Boulevard, Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Licensed debt management service provider. Vermont and New York Banking Departments. Maryland 49, Oregon DM80031. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. And welcome back. We're in Orlando, Florida for the National Ethanol Conference. We have some uh, news coming up a little bit later. We'll be talking with Jarrett Renshaw, National Energy Markets reporter for Reuters. Uh, He'll be joining us to talk about what may be a big E15 announcement this week. And, of course, we're also watching the news. Perhaps there is an agreement on uh, avoiding another government shutdown. We're waiting for details on that and also waiting to see what the president's reaction will be. Uh, But that's kind of a good lead-in to our guest joining us here in Orlando at the National Ethanol Conference. Former South Dakota Senator Tom Daschle joins us. Senator, thanks for being with us. I was asking you if you missed Congress. Uh, Do you miss working on something like uh, they're dealing with right now, trying to avoid another government shutdown? Well, Mike, it's good to be with you as well, and congratulations on such a successful show for these many years. I, yes, I think it's uh, it's always uh, such a, an honor to, to work in Congress and to work uh, in public life and public service. It's frustrating. It's uh, oftentimes uh, uh, not as glamorous as some people might think. Uh, I, I don't miss the nonsense, and there's too much nonsense today. There's too much politicization. There's not enough compromise. Um, and so we could, uh, we'd like to think we could somehow do a better job of governing than we are right now. But uh, uh, I, I look back fondly at my wonderful years in Congress. You made some interesting comments here. You, you are a great proponent of uh of renewable fuels and great supporter and especially now the the high octane low carbon initiative and that and that push i wanted to get your thoughts because now we're hearing about this proposal in washington of course about the the green new deal and there's a lot of talk about going electric and things like that Uh, how do you see renewable fuels fitting into this uh, renewed push about environmental issues, greenhouse gas emissions, and things like that? Oh, I think renewable fuels have a major, major role to play. I think there's a real opportunity for us. I I, I think we've got to be realistic uh, about the way we look at uh, our environmental challenges and climate change and all of the the many, many issues we've got to face. And if we are being realistic, we, we know that there's going to be a continued uh, increase in in the numbers of uh, uh, of electric vehicles, and that's a good thing. But there will also be an increase in the number of vehicles that are going to rely on high compression engines, and we have to have the fuel for that new technology, that new high compression technology, and we're being denied that opportunity to compete in the marketplace to be able to provide that fuel in large measure by a regulatory regimen that uh, is out of date. So we're putting a real focus on changing the regulatory uh, infrastructure to accommodate these high-octane, low-carbon fuels that that, uh, the renewable fuel industry can, can play a big role in producing. The RFS, the Renewable Fuel Standard, was passed to promote and to encourage the domestic fuel industry. And it seems like throughout its history, the renewable fuels industry has had to fight through that red tape and all those bureaucratic and regulatory hurdles that have made it you know, extremely difficult to achieve the, uh, what was supposed to be the goal of the RFS. Absolutely. You know, we've, we've had a lot of uh, 
strong opposition. And, and uh, I think it's to the credit of the industry that we've mm-hmm. been able to overcome enormous opposition, enormous misinformation, too. Um, I, I think that's that's really one of the critical things. So much of the opposition has been based on, 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 on data that just isn't correct. Uh, and so if you really put science back on the table, if you're table. Uh, we have every reason to be optimistic about going forward, but that opposition is not going to go away. We have to continue to be resilient and innovative. I called for that this morning, along with collaboration and engagement. Those things are going to make a difference, and this industry is capable of doing that. I thought a good example of that was here this morning when we heard it from an executive at General Motors, and uh, he had some things that maybe this audience didn't particularly like to hear, but working with people in uh, in the auto industry and finding solutions to these problems and challenges that'll be the key moving forward absolutely you know we've got to be we've got to be uh, uh, cognizant of what the lay of the land constantly looks like and it's always changing you know I thought that the the speaker from General Motors today made a very important point about high octane. We may differ on the definition of what high octane is right now, uh, but I think ultimately there's plenty of room for common ground. Um, uh, We'd like to think that uh, 95 to 100 RON is really what the industry needs, what the country needs. I think we're going to get there, Uh, but uh, they showed movement today, and hopefully we can see more of that coming in the months ahead. We're talking with former Senator Tom Daschle from South Dakota. Yeah, you know, it's always been that way with the auto industry. Uh, it's a chicken and egg situation that was referred to here. They're they're not going to make huge investments in something until they're sure that, it, you know, the, the, uh, the consumer is going to accept it and use it. So we're kind of that way again with higher ethanol blends and engines that uh, will get the maximum fuel efficiency. So we've got to find a way to work together moving forward. We sure do, and and I think we've got to continue to keep pushing the envelope. You know, South Dakota has shown, I think, a real, uh, a, a real compelling demonstration of what higher blends. Uh, can do and how popular they are. We've seen in California with FFVs, just the enormous popularity of FFVs in California. So uh, there is plenty of evidence that high-octane fuels and higher blends uh, are, are are very competitive in the open marketplace. What's keeping us from getting there is the regulatory series of barriers that exist today that uh, that we have to take down uh, to accommodate not only the industry's goals but our country's goals and looking at uh, greater efficiency and reduced greenhouse gases. What has been your reaction as we have found out how EPA has granted these exemptions to the RFS to uh, the so-called small refiners or hardship cases despite what the finances may, uh, may indicate otherwise uh, but We've lost a lot of gallons that should have been used in the under the RFS. I think the EPA has made a mockery of the entire waiver process. It's really uh, disappointing. I think it's uh, inexcusable. I think they've uh, they've taken it to a new level, and that level to me is going to hurt the country. It obviously has had an impact on the industry. It's definitely not good for agriculture. And so uh, it's, uh, but it demonstrates again, the opposition that we continue to have to face. And uh, we've got to continue to find ways to combat against that opposition. Uh, and uh, I think we're going to do it. We've talked about the environmental impact, which plays right into the strengths of the, the renewable fuels industry. But I think the other part of the story that doesn't get 
affected when we look at the uh, the impact on the not only the rural economy which is certainly significant but the general economy for this country the renewable fuels industry makes a significant uh, uh, impact and a positive benefit oh absolutely it's just amazing like and you see what has happened since the since the enactment of the RFS especially, that's where we've seen a, a dramatic increase in production and economic consequence. You know, the, the tens of thousands, of over a couple hundred thousand jobs, either direct or indirect, as a result of this industry. Uh, a million barrels of imported oil uh, that we're not importing today as a result of this industry. You know, revitalized rural economies where jobs are good paying jobs are are, 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 are are there. You know, so it's 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 really a remarkable demonstration of what this can do. And I think we're just continuing to scratch the surface. I think we can we can get through uh uh, three or four more levels like this in, in, in greater economic impact and, uh, and environmental impact if, if we just uh, keep, uh, keep this pressure on. Yeah, when we, when we see the studies showing uh, the reduction in greenhouse gas emissions thanks to the use of, of biofuels, and when we see now, as you said, the high-octane, low-carbon initiative, that plays right into the, uh, the biofuels uh, wheelhouse as well. But yet, uh, it seems like what looks like a win-win to most of us, we keep butting up against a wall, whether it's from the oil industry or whoever it may be. So that's why, as you said, the potential is there. Can we realize that it's going to take a lot of work to get there yet? It is. It is. You know, and, and the one thing that this industry is is resilient. They've been through some tough times. We've gone through a lot of challenges. We know that uh, those challenges are not going to... Uh, to be any less as we look forward. We still have the opposition from the oil industry and others, and, and we just have to keep keep pushing. And, uh, you know, that's why conferences like this are so important, to collectively sort of get a, a state of where we are today, the state of the industry, and, and what are um, the, the focus, what should the focus be as we look to the future. And uh, I'm hopeful that as we leave uh, this conference tomorrow, we're going to be in a better position to answer the, all of those questions. Well, thank you for your great work and uh, the support that you're giving. I know you're a real champion for biofuels, and uh, I know everyone here appreciates the work that you're doing. Thank you so That's very, very much. That's very kind, Mike. Thank Good you. Good to see you again. Good to see All you, right. too. Former South Dakota Senator Tom Daschle, one of the speakers here at the National Ethanol Conference going on in Orlando, Florida. All right, when we come back, a voice you hear quite often here on Adams on Agriculture, but now we're going to get a chance to sit down with him face-to-face. That's uh, Jarrett Renshaw, National Energy Markets reporter for Reuters. A lot to talk about uh, looks like some news could be happening this week possibly on e15 for uh, use this summer as we've been waiting on that and we may have some movement there also some interesting uh, discussion uh, senator dashel and i referred to this earlier some interesting discussion here from general motors as we look at higher ethanol blends and what the auto industry is looking at doing as well want to get into that some interesting uh, back and forth here at the conference this morning we'll tell you more about it when we come back to orlando florida the national ethanol conference here on aoa adams on agriculture sometimes life is wonderful and sometimes it's not cherish the good but always be prepared for life's challenges at private health care we provide the peace of mind you deserve with private health care you'll get the coverage you want and health care you need if your employer doesn't supply health care coverage and you don't qualify for medicare or medicaid you need to give us a call right now 
Private health care is private health insurance for ages 65 and under with medical, dental, vision, and even prescription coverage. When life comes at you unexpectedly, you need to be ready. And health insurance is your financial safety net. If you're looking for health coverage at the best price and your annual household income is 35000 or more, give us a call at 800-664-2612. That's 800-664-2612. 800-664-2612. Time now for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network, broadcasting from Fargo at the Fargo Dome, where the Northern Corn and Soybean Expo is underway, the event a partnership between the North Dakota Soybean Council and North Dakota Corn Council. In the grain markets, we are mixed this morning as corn and soybeans try to claw back from a poor showing on Monday, while wheat futures are a bit easier. USDA confirming wheat export sales to Egypt and Nigeria on Monday, as well as a soybean meal sale to Ecuador. Corn and wheat export inspections missing the levels needed to hit USDA export forecasts. Wheat inspections down a little over 10% from a year ago. USDA is forecasting the first year-over-year -year drop in Chinese soybean imports and crush demand in 15 years. Early activity in soybeans, the March contract up four and a half at 9.09 and a quarter. March corn up a penny and three quarters at 3.74 and a half. Chicago wheat, March contract down three at 5.15 and a quarter. Minneapolis spring wheat March down three quarters of a cent at 5.73. Kansas City wheat March down three and a half at 4.90. For livestock at the Merck, an easier tone in live cattle futures, we're a nickel to 37 cents lower. February down 37 at 127.45. Cash cattle activity continues to remain elusive, according to the wire talk. In lean hog futures, the April contract is up $1.65 at 60.72, May up $1.47 at 68.87. Cash hog markets have been stuck in a rut. We're being called steady to a dollar lower on this Tuesday. And again, I'm broadcasting from the Northern Corn and Soybean Expo being held at the Fargo Dome. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson for the American Ag Network. All right, crew, let's get her dug. Honey, you wanna give me a hand? I'm planting that tree, remember? No matter how large or small your digging project may be, no matter how urban or rural, you must always call 811 before any digging project. 811 is our national one call number alerting your local utility companies to come out and mark any lines they have near your dig site. You must call 811 at least two to three business days before any digging project so you can avoid hitting our essential buried utilities. This includes natural gas and petroleum pipelines, electric, communication cables, and water and sewer lines. So before you do this or this, make sure you do this. For digging projects big or small, make the call to 811. Brought to you by Common Ground Alliance. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. And welcome back to the National Ethanol Conference in Orlando, Florida. Someone you hear quite often here on 
AOA is the National Energy Markets Reporter for Reuters, Jarrett Renshaw. This is our first time to actually sit down face-to-face and have a conversation. Good to see you. Yeah, good to see you for the first time. <laughs> well, it's been an interesting day already here at the National Ethanol Conference. I want to get to a story that you've been uh, reporting on. It, it sounds like that maybe we'll see some movement this week on the E15 summer sales. Yeah, the latest we heard is that uh, some of the EPA officials were concerned that a government shutdown would uh, would really be problematic in getting that E15 rule out. So there was a, a heightened sense of urgency to uh, get that rule and uh, and get it out. Um, and and part of that is kind of untangling it or uh, uh, from the the RIN reforms that we've written about. So that was the plan, and it looks like they could even get it out as early as Friday, as we are hearing. But um, it's it's hard to kind of decode what's going on with the government shutdown right now. It's anybody's guess. I don't know what the latest news. I've been here all day. On, on whether Trump's going to, a, you know, do an emergency order um, or things like that. But all that, I think, would weigh on what ultimately happens. We're hearing about some kind of tentative deal maybe congressional leaders have come to, but we don't know if the pre- what the details are or how the president will respond to that. So we're kind of waiting to see. So uh, what this at least tells me is EPA is taking seriously getting E15 approved for this summer if they're willing to take this step. Agreed. Agreed. And I think that is uh, that is the the proper interpretation it sounds like the epa uh has made a commitment they want to make sure that they kind of live up to that commitment and i think they're even willing to kind of uh, anger the oil industry by moving forward without the the second part of that that rule um and you know i I think we'll we'll have to see but right now it looks like if i was a a betting man that the the shutdown is averted and uh there's maybe an emergency uh, declaration and that maybe buy some time for the epa not to do it out friday because i as i've said before and i think Others in the renewable fuels industry have been skeptical of EPA's commitment to getting this done by this summer, but uh, this kind of maybe gives us some some renewed hope. But um, let's move on to some other topics here at the conference. We're talking with Jarrett Renshaw, National Energy Markets Reporter for Reuters. We heard from a General Motors exec here today, and there's so much talk about you know electric cars and things like that. We'll talk more about that in a moment. But he actually... I not challenged this group and this industry, saying, uh, "Let's move high octane. Uh, that should be our standard, not a, not the RFS, not the renewable fuel standard." Now, this industry doesn't necessarily agree with that. Uh, what was your take on that on that discussion here this yeah, week? Yeah, I thought you I thought you set it up perfectly. I, I thought it was a very much a challenge. They said that the RFS is a constant political struggle. Every year you're fighting for these gallons. Every year you get some small wins, you get losses. You're spending a lot of sweat equity um, moving the ball incrementally. And that should not be your goal. Your goal should be a broad upheaval of the policy, and their alternative is a higher octane. And that would, uh, they believe, would ethanol is a great octane booster, and they believe that if you set a national standard with octane that you, you get more ethanol into the market. Obviously, uh, the, the, the renewable fuel folks have a different opinion. Um, while they support higher octane gasoline, a national standard for higher octane for, uh, uh, for a national standard, they don't believe that you can, you can do that alone. You still need an RFS to kind of uh, create, create demand. Because, and especially based on past um, situations like the old MTBE and things like that, Hard to trust the oil industry not to try to find another way around the ethanol industry. Sure, uh, and the, the U.S. Energy Information Administration, which is a, a very reliable and credible source of uh, uh, data, 
published a report not that long ago within the last couple of months that said essentially you can get higher octane without ethanol and they, they painted several scenarios where that uh, would indeed occur so I think they're they're, they're rightfully suspicious of, of what a higher octane would mean alone and uh, so while they support that they certainly don't think it's 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 not certainly uh, 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 the silver bullet that that the GM execs represented as, as such. It also points out this has been an ongoing issue through, for years now with the auto industry. It's a chicken and egg situation, which was referred to here today. And I understand that the auto industry isn't going to get out in front too far and, and invest millions and millions of dollars on uh, technology that may or may not get supported in the marketplace. I understand that. But it seems like the, the challenge has been to get the two, the fuel industry, the ethanol industry, and the auto industry working more closely together moving forward. I know the ethanol industry wants to see more push for flex fuel vehicles, and, and now the, you know, the, the, the new technology to allow the higher octane and get the most fuel efficiency from it. Uh, working in concert, that has always been and continues to be a challenge, I think. Sure. Well, Mike, do you think the oil industry and the ethanol industry are ever going to work together? I mean, I haven't seen any, any signs of that happening. No. I think the, uh, the ethanol industry is suspicious of the alliance between the car industry and, and the oil industry. Um, so, you know, they, they don't have a lot of faith or trust between the, those parties. And, uh, and they're competitors, ultimately, right. right? The oil industry and the ethanol industry are competitors. And we always got to remember that, you know, the, the, I understand they're all about consumer facing and, and I get that. And I think they say the right things at these conventions, but ultimately the oil industry wants to limit ethanol's market share. And they do that through regulation. They do that through, through, through other, uh, through other means. And, and that's where the fight always takes place. And I don't see how that just goes away. No, I don't either. And I, and it's, to me, it's hypocritical. Uh, the oil industry for all of its fighting against the ethanol industry, actually benefits from the ethanol industry. It provides the octane they, that they need. It provides a lot of environmental benefits. Uh, and, and so they've actually, I think, uh, done well by having the ethanol industry, at the same time fighting them tooth and nail over over that market share. Yeah, I think it's, it's really the, you know, ethanol producers need more markets. They need more people buying their product. And the simplest way to do that is to get more ethanol in the U.S. gasoline market. And, uh, you know, 5% more ethanol in the U.S. gasoline market, it's, it's a big number, right? The U.S. gasoline market's like something like 9 million, 9 million barrels per day or mm-hmm. something like that. And that's a, that's a lot of money that changes hands every day in this U.S. market. And uh, the ethanol f- folks know that, and the oil industry folks know that. So they're just going to, it's like uh, trench warfare, right? And they're just going to keep fighting incrementally over that one, two, th- th- those margins and, and you know, frankly, the ethanol folks need it more than the oil folks at this current time. And you, I'm always reminded how complicated the fuel business is. And boy, we, you can get deep in the weeds pretty quick uh, sure. on some of these discussions. I want to talk about this, uh, you know, now the talk about the new Green Deal. And, uh, you know, to me, if the discussion is kept kept in the right framework, renewable fuels has a great opportunity here because of the environmental benefits uh, reduction of greenhouse gases and things like that. But if if the focus is going to be let's go all electric or something like that, then then it's another discussion. Then, you know, I, 
I, I always think, and people ask me about, like, what is the future of the RFS? We're coming to a potential sunset, and there's different definitions of what that means. I think ultimately what will happen is we'll see a brand kind of collaboration between coastal Democrats in California, New York, aligned with, you know, Iowa farmers uh, on a kind of a big, broad future energy package that includes all the above, electric cars, you know, um, uh, ethanol. And I think, you know, they'll get, so the Iowa folks will come away with a little bit more certainty on ethanol. Um, the Coastal Democrats will get a, um, some, some ambitious goals on electric cars or other solar panels. There should be a, you kind of feel like it's going there, right? This idea of like we, all the above options that are not fossil fuel and let, let's find a way to kind of get it. And I think if you're smart, you know, these Midwest politicians will, will find a way to kind of align themselves with those Democrats in order to get the 60 votes you need in the Senate. And, that, and I think there's a path, and I think the pressure of that reset, I'm sorry, of the sunset, will kind of force those folks to come together and, and create some more certainty after 2022. And I think, you know, the, the renewable fuel industry is going to have to maybe concede on some areas in order to get uh, benefit in others. Well, you mentioned reset. That's another part of the conversation here. Moving forward, uh, what will the marketplace be for the renewable fuels industry? Jeff Cooper, president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association, addressed that today. The RFA has a plan for beyond 2022. He reminded everyone again, the RFS doesn't end in 2022, but it will look differently moving forward. Uh, so it, it's this is it's been described as a crossroads time. I think this industry has passed through a lot of crossroads, but it is at another one right now. Sure. Yeah, I think that is the, uh, you know, we have E15, we're looking for that, but the reset, um, which will come out shortly after that, it has wide implications for the industry. Um, it's going to dictate uh, what the RVO will look like in the next three years, I believe. Um, so does ethanol go up, down? That, that has wide implications. We know that the advanced biofuel is going to come down. How much? Um, you know, so it's going to be a it's going to be a battle, and then those two sides are certainly uh, are going to have numbers or suggested numbers they get, and, and and I think it will dictate investment over the next you know ten years. I, th I think it has that that kind of broad implication. Yeah, you're always looking for signals that encourages investment, and Jeff Cooper laid it out today where he's a reset. He says should open the door for EPA to increase the the gallons for ethanol under the rfs yeah you know I, frankly we've heard both both things so it's 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 hard for me to uh figure out where they're going to land and and there's actually really uh sound arguments on both sides that the, you, you can make an argument for ethanol going lower and you can make an argument for ethanol going higher ultimately i think this this administration is not going to cut the feet off of ethanol uh, so I, I do think the floor is 15 billion and i think the question is do you go higher um I can't see a scenario, given where we're at in the political cycle, that this administration, because that would be toxic. Um, and certainly Democrats um, could seize on that in, in, in a key battleground in the Midwest. And um, I think that would clearly open up Trump to some, some sincere criticism. Hey, it's good to really see you. Great to see you. <laughs> All right. Jarrett Renshaw, National Energy Markets Reporter for Reuters, joining us here at the National Ethanol Conference in Orlando. You'll be hearing him uh, much more in the future. Always appreciate his uh, input and uh, his perspective here on Adams on Agriculture. Coming up next, we're going to talk more about uh, the ethanol industry and the relationship with corn growers. That's next. Stay with us on AOA. 
right, guys. We're ready for our four-season sunroom, and Daddy's going to get a rec room with refreshments. Oh, no. We'll be sleeping under the stars. Mom, what about the one with, you know, the fun? Nice try, little bro. It's a gym. My gym. Hey, Grandma's getting her Four Seasons garden room. Weather tight and still like being outdoors. Maybe a living room. Oh, no, wait. A family hub. Yeah. No matter what the budget, the season, or the climate, Four Seasons Sunrooms let you and your family enjoy the outdoors inside. Call now to hear more about these great offers from the premier manufacturer of sunrooms since 1975. More reasons for four seasons now. To find out more, call toll-free 800-988-4477. That's 800-988-4477. Call 800-988-4477 today. Do you need a car? Been shopping only to be turned down because of bad credit, low credit, no credit, bankruptcy, or divorce? Guess what? Today's your lucky day. Because now you can buy a car, truck, or SUV, just about any vehicle. It's true. Bad credit doesn't matter. No credit doesn't matter. Bankruptcy or divorce, it just doesn't matter. As a matter of fact, your job is your ticket to your new vehicle. We're Auto Credit Express, and we've helped thousands of people just like you. Antonio H. told us, great company, got me connected, and the day I went in, I drove off in the car I wanted. 100% worth your time. Need a car? Get started now and drive off as early as today. Just go to 11ignoremyscore.com right now. That's www.11ignoremyscore.com. Auto financing the easy way. 11ignoremyscore.com. Get started today. Auto financing the easy way. Did you know you can listen to the latest podcast of Adams on Agriculture or hear the top news and weekend review from the American Ag Network on your Amazon Alexa? Play my flash briefing. Use the Alexa app to search for the podcast you want to play. Search for Adams on Agriculture to learn about the issues affecting agriculture each weekday. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Again. Or you can search for the American Ag Network. This is the American Ag Network Week in Review. I'm Sabrina Hill. Stay up to date on agriculture with the sound of your voice on your Amazon device. When you went car shopping, you meant business. You ace vehicle history searches and test drives. You out salesmen to the salesman. Now you've got your wheels. If you manage that, you can get your retirement plan on track. Visiting aceyourretirement.org can help. With 401k tips and smart saving strategies, you'll have the info you need to get more for your future. Go to aceyourretirement.org because when it comes to speeding past financial challenges, you're an ace. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. You're not wired to have a response to this sound. You're neutral to it. And you can hear it repeatedly without feeling anything. But when we introduce a new stimulus, save the food. We've achieved pulling a natural or inborn response from you. Save the food. Why are we doing this, you may ask? Save the food. Because this ad is trying to change the world's behavior through brainwashing. Because 40% of all food in the U.S. never gets eaten. Save the food. And that costs a family of four $1,500 a year. Save the food. Cha-ching. It's worsening climate change through the release of methane gas. Save the food. Cha-ching. And it's wasting precious natural resources like our fresh water. Save the food. Cha-ching. So when you hear this sound, don't be neutral. Rethink your behavior. Cook it, store it, share it. Just don't waste it. For tips and recipes, visit savethefood.com. Brought to you by NRDC and the Ad Council. 
180 over 111 and I had a stroke. When I woke up, I couldn't speak or walk. 145 over 92 and then I had a heart attack. 182 over 100 and I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest and then a stroke. Everything changed. It felt like my life was over. This is what high blood pressure sounds like. You might not feel its symptoms, but the results from a heart attack or stroke are far from invisible or silent. 150 over 90, and I had a stroke. If I would have followed a treatment plan, I would not be in this situation. 180 over 110, and I had a stroke. And I'm 33, so I never see this coming. If you've come off your treatment plan, get back on it, or talk with your doctor to create an exercise, diet, and medication plan that works for you. Go to loweryourhbp.org. I had to tell everything's changed. I had to tell. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. And welcome back to the National Ethanol Conference in Orlando, Florida. Joining us now, good friend Gary Marshall, CEO of the Missouri Corn Growers Association. Good to see you again. Good to see you, Mike. A lot going on. Um, I think back, I think, what, this is the 24th conference, and I think back to the early days, and I remember seeing a lot of farmers walking these halls and trying to get them, you know, they were trying to get going in the ethanol industry and looking at investing and getting into plant. We've come a long ways uh, in those years, but the relationship between the corn growers and the ethanol industry is still very strong. It is. I, I remember back when these meetings had maybe 100 people back in the uh, in the mid to late 80s. Now we're up to, you know, around 1,000 or so. It's been higher. It's It's been lower. But uh, the good news is the industries continue to work together. The ethanol and corn industries have worked together for a long time to build markets. We're continuing to do that. We see the efforts uh, working with the, the motorcycle industry, you know, motorcycle riders and efforts that, uh, you know, that are going on with the industry. Um, boaters, there have been concerns about using ethanol in, in boat motors, and so the, the industry working uh, with the, uh, the crappie tournament. So, I mean, the fishing tournaments like that, th- those, are, those are great ways to build a relationship uh, between the two. They really are. It's something that we've been doing now for five years is partnering with the crappie masters folks. And our whole intent was to get people comfortable with the fact that they can use 10% ethanol blends in their boat motors. We even did a program, it's been now 15 years ago, with the Missouri um, Water Patrol where they used 10% ethanol in all of their boats, and they loved it. So we knew it could, we could do that. It's just been the fact that there's been a lot of disinformation out there over the years. So this is one way for us, now partnering with the RFA, with the National Corn Growers, in helping to assure folks that it's not not only is it safe, but it's good to use 10% ethanol in your boat motors. Gary, what does the ethanol industry mean to a state like Missouri, both the, the, the general economy of the state and in particular to your farmers? Well, for instance, we use 10% of all the gasoline sold in Missouri is an ethanol blend, or let's say 100% is. So that's 10% ethanol on 300, let's say 3 billion gallons, so that's 300 million gallons of ethanol. That's almost the same that we produce in state. In fact, we may be using a little bit more than what we produce in state. So it's a huge market for our corn farmers. And during a time whenever corn prices are depressed, they're way below where they ought to be. Trade is a problem. You know, the livestock and poultry industry, it's not growing in the U.S. So 
our number one project is to continue to promote ethanol, to get more ethanol used in Missouri, but across the U.S. and really globally. So there's a conference going on right now in South America where a lot of our folks are at, and we're promoting the exports of ethanol blends. And that's where we think there's some tremendous potential for the next three or four or five years, and then ultimately down the road, we really like the concept of high-octane, low-carbon fuels. And we look at the jobs created uh, by the ethanol industry. Your state benefits from that. Absolutely. Not only the people that are working there, but we had over 2,000 Missouri family farms, farmers that invested in the ethanol plants when they started. All six of our plants were farmer-owned plants. Today, at least four of them still are totally farmer-owned plants. So, uh, it's always been a family farm deal for us. It's been a, a situation where it's a hedge for the growers. You know, hopefully they make money on corn or they make money on ethanol. Unfortunately, right now they're not making money on either one. But still, it's a hedge, and uh, it's been really, really good to our growers in Missouri. Yeah, these are challenging times. Over the years, we've seen ups and downs uh, for the ethanol industry. Uh, this is a challenging time right now. It is, and it's not just for ethanol but for corn farmers too. And that's why we're all working together trying to come up with the solutions that uh, we need to move the industry forward. Here at the National Ethanol Conference, uh, we've we've heard uh, from several speakers today, one being from General Motors, and you and I have been talking about this uh, before going on air. Uh, It's a constant challenge to find a way to get the industry and the auto industry, the ethanol industry and the auto industry, working together, moving forward. And that's what we need to be in concert together. Uh, the auto industry is kind of, uh, they don't want to overcommit, but uh, the ethanol industry also wants to see a little more leadership, I think, from the auto industry in, in moving uh, uh, these vehicles that can use higher ethanol blends. Yeah, absolutely. We think that's the future. I mean, they're looking at either using some sort of a gasoline-based product, or they're looking at electric vehicles. We obviously have the interest. We want to see some sort of liquid fuel used, and it needs to be containing higher blends of ethanol, we think. So we're going to sit down, and we have been sitting down with the autos uh, for quite some time, had breakfast with them this morning, talked in a little bit more detail, uh, and we're beginning to coalesce around some ideas that maybe we can move forward the industry regulatorily or legislatively or maybe both so there's some opportunity to do it the good news is the oil industry can't move forward without the autos and us the autos can't move forward without the oil industry and us the common denominator it's us it's a corn and ethanol industry so i think we hold the key we have to decide what we want figure out a plan a mechanism to make it happen and then move forward and i think we can do that and a lot of people wondering about what is the future of the liquid fuels industry with the push for electric and things like that. But obviously, uh, it's not just going to change overnight. We're not going to just, everything's going to be electric tomorrow or anything like that. No, absolutely. What we're talking about, even if we go the high-octane route, you know, you're talking about the autos not producing a vehicle that can run on the higher-octane levels until maybe 2023 to 2025. So several years for them but they have to begin the design sooner rather than later of those new Mm -hmm. engines they want the engines to be like we have in in europe so they're higher combustion engines they're higher octane engines they have more torque they're going to get better mileage they're going to be smaller so they weigh less so a lot of opportunity i think for us to do something moving forward it's just trying to figure out how to bring everybody to the table get that engine technology and the fuel technology working together absolutely that that's always been the challenge and it continues to be but there's a lot of promise i think there and 
with this push on environmental issues and greenhouse gases and things like that, I think uh, it plays well for the renewable fuels industry, the, the strengths for the renewable fuels industry. It does, absolutely. And, and then the other factor, which is huge, is that, and it's unfortunate, but things are pretty tough on the farm right now, and that eventually is going to go to, to us, and then it's going to go to our state legislators then it's going to go to congress and to the president so something has to happen we want to be there when it does all right gary good to see you again good to see you you, mike thanks gary marshall ceo of the missouri corn growers association that wraps it up for today but we're back here tomorrow in orlando with more from the national ethanol conference hope you'll join us right here on aoa adams on agriculture